0: If you're wondering this morning where Pastor Doug is, um, Pastor Doug is in Mexico with his wife Christy for a couple of days. Uh, One of the cool points of diversity that we have in our church is that along with being a Southern Baptist minister, Doug is also an ordained Anglican priest. And so he has the honor of ordaining someone to be an Anglican priest back in the city that he worked in for like 20 years in Mexico. So that's where he's at. And he said um, he really wants to tell you about it. So next time you see him, he said, ask people to ask me about it because he's really very excited about this opportunity that he has. Um, So be sure and do that when he gets back. Um, But as you can tell by the theme of the music and even by just kind of the the bumper video there, um, we're in a three-part sermon series. It's kind of quick, but a three-part sermon series on dealing with the things of life that can be a little bit more difficult. Um, which I'm glad that we have the courage to go there because not, and not, not life is not always awesome. You know, everything is awesome. Some of you know that song. It's not always that way. Um, so last week Doug walked through Ecclesiastes 3. There's a season for everything, and sometimes there's a season for winter, and we need to not deny that that's the fact. Um, today we're looking at Psalm 51. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 51, we're looking at what do you do when you make a big mistake when you sin. You have to deal with the loss of, you could say, the fact that you're innocent. You go from being innocent to guilty. How do you deal with that? And then next week, we're actually looking at how to deal with the loss of a loved one. So Doug will be back, and he'll speak about um, how Abraham dealt with the loss of Sarah when his wife Sarah died. So uh, what I'd like to do with this psalm is I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about the backstory, because if you are looking um, in, in Psalm 51, it actually has a subheading, and it says this is a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had gone to Bathsheba. So it's one of the few psalms that we have a definite backstory to. So I want to talk a little bit about the backstory. Then I want to look at David's confession, and then I want to give us a time to confess uh, before we take the Lord's Supper together here in a minute. So the backstory of, of, this, of this psalm is found in Second Samuel, chapter 11 and 12. You don't have to turn there now, but you can research it later. So Second Samuel, it's all of chapter 11, and it's half of chapter 12. And so this is a true story that happened about 1,000 years ago, I mean 3,000 years ago. So in the ballpark of like 1,000 B.C. is when this story actually took place. And, you know, Saul was the first king of, da- of, of Israel, David was the second king, and it took a lot of, uh, it, it, was, it was a rocky road for David to become king. But at this point in the story, in Second Samuel chapter 11, he's been established on the throne for a good 10, 15 years, let's say. And one of the things that I noticed in this story, this story goes from bad to worse pretty quickly. Um, and I'm glad that we, have a, we serve a God that forgives and redeems and restores. That's what the gospel is. Um, but I can't help but wondering, um, is there any way that maybe this could have been averted? This whole story could have been averted. And if you look at the first verse of Second um, Samuel 11, it says, In the time when kings went out to war, David stayed home. It's a little bit ominous. In the time when kings went out to war, David stayed home. Almost as if to say, in the time when David should have been about his work, he wasn't about his work. And sometimes I wonder if in seasons of abundance is when maybe we need to keep our guard up. Because whenever you're fighting through life, you're very aware of what's going on. But sometimes when God actually does bless you with a season of abundance, ironically enough, that's some of the time when you're most susceptible to temptation. That's some of the time when you're most susceptible to that. So we need to remember that our our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And so if you're in a season of abundance right now, that might be a word for you this morning. To you know, we don't walk around like every there's always going to be bad something bad around the corner. But just to be ever vigilant if you are in a season of abundance. So kind of continuing with that theme. Um, I know here we, we read with the Christians, Christian Standard Bible, but in the ESV, in the second verse, it says, David got up off his couch in the afternoon and took a stroll on his rooftop. It's like you're really playing up this fact that maybe he's really let his guard down and his focus isn't where it's supposed to be. And so, some of you know the story, some of you don't, but he sees a, from his rooftop to another rooftop, he sees a woman bathing, her name's Bathsheba, he thinks she's attractive, he abuses his power, he calls her up to his palace, and then, in a short amount of time, he finds out um, that she's pregnant. And so, um, he has a choice in that moment to confess or to cover up. You can confess or you can cover up. And I bet you all of us have been uh, in a moment in our life where we did something we know we shouldn't have done, and you have a choice. You can either confess or you can cover up. And what do you choose to do? Most of the time we choose to cover up. Uh, and you know, if you recall the story of Adam and Eve, when they sinned, that's literally the first thing they did when God came in the garden after they'd sinned. He said, where are you guys? They, were, they covered up with animal skins uh, because they were ashamed. And the truth is... Um, coming clean on something and confessing, it's, it's not easy. Um, there's a lot of embarrassment that's usually involved, and truth be told, there's a lot of consequences that are usually involved. So for those of us who have had the option of confessing or covering up, I understand why. Um, I understand why we cover up, but I also understand the weight that that progressively puts on your mind and your heart over time. It's like as each day passes and you keep that thing secret, it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier to carry around. So he decides, David decides, that he's going to try to cover up instead of confess. So Bathsheba has a husband, her husband's name's Uriah. Uriah fights in David's army, and so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Uriah come home for like a 48 hour pass, and so he's going to have some R&R. He'll probably spend some time with his wife, and then everybody will think, you know, it, it's, it's his kid and not my kid. I think I can get away with it. So, but the truth is, um, even if you do get away with it, you never get away with it, because, because God sees everything. So, Uriah, you know, it's kind of a funny sounding name, Uriah. But of all the people in the Bible, I'm just reminded of how much character this guy had. Like if there's anybody that I would want to work with, work for, fight alongside, it's this kind of guy, Uriah. He, you know, he comes home and David's like, go spend some time with your wife. And he's like, it's not fair that all my fellow soldiers are fighting and that I should be able to be comforted in any way. I want to like live in solidarity with them. So so he. He basically doesn't take the rest. He wants to go back to work. Um, and so David's sort of like, you know, rats, foiled again. So he has, he, has a, he has a second opportunity to either confess or cover up. He can confess or cover up. So he decides again, I'm going to cover up. Except it gets a little more devious. He decides that the, the commander of David's armies is Joab. And he sends a letter to Joab saying, I want you to put Uriah in the thickest part of the fight, and when the fighting's getting really bad, I actually want you to draw our soldiers back so that it's pretty certain that he'll die. The, the most sadistic thing, as I reread this story, is that David actually wrote this letter and had Uriah deliver it for him to the commanders of his army. So I'm like, good grief. And, you know, I started thinking about David and... Um, <coughs> If, I was, if my first introduction to David was um, this Second Samuel chapter 11, I, I would just look at you and say, David is a villain. This guy is a straight-up villain. He's a lazy king. He abuses his power. He takes other people's wives. He has people killed. Other people get killed in the process of him killing people. This guy is a villain. Um, but then at the same time, there's another part of the Bible that says that um, David is a man after God's own heart. And so how do we reconcile that? Uh, how do we reconcile the fact that he's done what he's done, and yet he's a man after God's own heart? Um, we'll lead into that. <clears throat> um, I'd like to say if there's hope for him, there's hope for all of us. So in the course of a few short months, David breaks at least half of the Ten Commandments. You probably know that in the back of your head, but maybe you haven't realized. Um, he murdered, he committed adultery, he stole, he lied, and he coveted. And another point that I wanted to make, too, just a few observations along the way with Joab. Joab was commander of um, David's armies, and he said, you know, this is something I want you to do. Pull back people so Uriah will probably die. Are you possibly in the middle of a situation where you're not sinning, but somebody in your life is asking you to help them sin? Somebody in your life is asking you to help them cover up. David was asking Joab to help him. Um, Collusion, I think that's... Well, that's what it's called. And so you might find yourself in a situation where that's something you need to say no to at this point in your life, but it's good observation. So at the end of chapter 11, it says, "The Lord considered what David had done to be evil." So it's good to know what God thinks about everything that just happened under the sun, because it's pretty bad. God considered what David had done to be evil, and then in the first verse of chapter 12, it said, "And Lord and the Lord sent Nathan." The Lord sent the prophet Nathan. And so Nathan comes to David, and again, many of you know the story. He doesn't just straight out confront him. He tells him a story. Starts off easy enough, but then it closes really hard. He said, once upon a time, there were two men. One of them was rich, one of them was poor. One of them had a lot of animals. One of them only had one lamb. And so one night, the rich guy... Uh, had a a guest come over for dinner, and he didn't want to kill any of his own animals just to make dinner. And so he said, take the poor guys, one lamb, and let's make dinner with that. And so David, when he hears this story, he just jumps up out of his chair, and he, um, I've got it written down because I wanted to quote it directly. He says, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he's done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. And one of the things I notice in David is, and and we notice it in ourselves sometimes, is that we can be quick to justify our own sin, but um, we can be very quick to condemn the same sin in other people. You can be very quick to say, oh, well, I did it because of this and this, and this person kind of pushed me. And, you know, we have all these reasons why we sin, but when we look at other people, no reasons, no reasons, just boom, you shouldn't have done that, judge him. And so I think in my life, I've noticed that some of the people that are most accusatory are some of the people that are carrying around the most guilt and and unforgiveness themselves. So um, I I love Nathan because Nathan goes to David, and after he tells him that story, and David says, "This this is ridiculous, we need to judge that guy. You know the story, Nathan looks at him and he says, you are that man, you are that man. So another observation I would make with that is, is there anybody in your life right now that you need to be a Nathan to? that there's someone that you would love enough and care about enough not to rub their nose in their sin, but to hold up a mirror in front of them and say, look what you're doing. Look what you're saying. Is this the person you want to be? That's what a, a truly good friend will do. They'll hold up a mirror and they'll say, is this really the person you want to be? And so then David has a third choice, a third opportunity, almost like Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. Um... David has a third opportunity to either cover up or confess. And this time he chooses to confess. And in one verse, you can look at it later, but it's 2 Samuel 12, 13. In one verse, David says, I've sinned against the Lord. And in the second half of that verse, Nathan says, and the Lord has taken away your sin. So David repents. David confesses. He says, you're right, I'm wrong. And in an instant... um, God says you're forgiven. And it's kind of like this Psalm 51 is smashed, just sandwiched right in between the middle of verse 13. And I'm glad we kind of have an expanded a view of what was going on in David's heart um, in Psalm 51. But I think just one point that I want to make with that is when you carry around something that you know you need to confess, there's just such a weight. Like I said, it gets heavier day by day, and there's such a pressure. And it's great when you finally reach the point where you say, you know what, I don't care what consequences are going to happen. I don't care who knows, and I don't care how embarrassed I am. Um, I have to confess. And when you finally confess, you know, maybe you recall doing that sometime when you were a kid to your parents. You finally confess, and it's like this dam just breaks. And usually there's a lot of emotion involved with it, but you just don't care because the pressure inside you is so heavy. Um... I think that's what happens as we live our lives as Christians and where our relationship is renewed with the Lord and it also happens the first time we come to the Lord where we say forgive me of all my sins because I can't continue to live um, with the weight uh, of the guilt and there's just such a great relief that comes I just just love that moment where where you say I don't care what the consequences are I've got to do the right thing so And, and the thing is, too, uh, I'm not trying to paint this as an entirely rosy picture. Just because you confess doesn't mean there's not consequences. If you confess, there, are, and part of the reason we don't confess is because there might be consequences, and the truth is that the, there are. In this particular story, God says the sword will always be connected to your house. There's always going to be strife in your house. And this, uh, this baby that's going to be born is going to die. So make no mistake, just because you confess... <laughs> does it mean that there's still not a bit of rocky road that can, be, that can be ahead of you. So I want to take a minute to look at David's confession and read verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 51. <clears throat> Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4 says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. You are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. So you can look at the rest of the psalm later, just like you can go back and look at Second Samuel um, later in the course of this week. But I basically want to make two points. One is that when you confess your sins, you need to confess directly to God with God's character in mind. And two, you need to actually ask for forgiveness with specifics in mind. So the verse that I struggled with the most throughout the course of this week that was revisited uh, is verse four, where he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. You may have wrestled with this before because it's pretty obvious that David sinned against other people. He sinned against other people, their families. He sinned against his nation, just as a leader, a leader to his people. He sinned against a lot of different people. So how is it possible um, that he can say against you and you alone have I sinned? Um, just you can, you can talk to me about this if you would like, but um, my best understanding of this is that what he's really saying against is against you and you primarily have I sinned. Against you and you ultimately have I sinned. And so I wanted to say this. In my mind, this seems to be the way this plays out as far as understanding this verse because I think we need to understand this verse Um, because from David's confession, we learn how we confess our sins. Because God is all-powerful, because God is all-powerful, he's the one who decides what's right and wrong. People don't decide what's right and wrong. God decides what's right and wrong. So if God's the one who decides what's right and wrong ultimately that means he's the one who has the power to condemn and he's the one who has the power to judge. And if he's the one that has the power to judge, the true power to judge, then he's the one that we ultimately need to confess to. He's the one that we ultimately need forgiveness from. Because here's the deal. If I confess my sin to you, let's say I do you wrong and I confess your sin, here's the thing. You may forgive me and you may not. If I confess my sin to you, which I should, I should, You may forgive me, and you may not. So I can live the rest of my life guilty in your eyes if my forgiveness is based on you. But with God, we have a guarantee that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. With him, we have a guarantee. With people, we don't always have a guarantee. And I think sometimes we get maybe a little our wires a little bit crossed in our minds sometimes when we think about confessing to God. Like, I'm not sure I should confess to God and I think part of the reason is because you forget that God is not a man. God is not us. God is completely other. He returns good for evil. He forgives 70 times 7, which is why we forgive 70 times 7. He's not like us and he's not like a lot of the people that maybe you've maybe that do hold resentment against you in your life when you have asked for forgiveness. If you ask for forgiveness, if your heart is contrite, He will forgive you. And I love the fact that later on in this psalm, verse 17, you could probably flip over there with your eyes real quickly to chapter 51, verse 17. David says this um, He says, A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise, or a broken and contrite heart you will not refuse. Now, this is going to be a contrite heart is different. um, There's a difference between somebody that's sorry they got caught. And there's a difference between that and somebody that truly understands the pain they've caused other people. So a contrite heart is remorseful, humble, grieved, empathetic. You understand how what you have done has hurt people. Again, not to rub your nose in it, but if there's no emotion connected to it, you don't, you don't really know what you're apologizing for. So with, with David's confession, we see two things. In, in verse 4, his confession is direct li- directed primarily towards God. And then in verse 1, it's kind of interesting. He doesn't, he doesn't start his confession with what he did wrong. He starts his confession with looking at God's character. He doesn't say, this is, and you might start your prayer like this. If you confess your sin, you might say, Lord, I did this and this and this. He starts his prayer saying, Lord, you are this and this and this. And then here's what I did. And so I like to remember the fact, again, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Ecclesiastes 34, um, 6 and 7. I mean, sorry, Exodus 34, Exodus 34, six 6 and 7. Who God is, he's a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He's all those things. But at the same time, he's a God who judges. He is merciful, but he's also just. But we need to remember the fact that if you repent, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not refuse. So when you confess, you confess with his character in mind. The second thing being, when you ask for forgiveness, you want to ask for forgiveness with specifics in mind. So kind of looking at verses 2 and 3. In verse 3, and some of you may really connect emotionally with this verse, he says, For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Some of us, maybe most of us, would say, Nobody's going to beat me up more than I'm going to beat myself up. I'm very aware of all the things I've done wrong. I don't need somebody else reminding me of all the things I've done wrong. Um, We're very aware So one thing I would say about that is this. If you want a verse to memorize, I would say this is the verse to memorize. 2 Corinthians 7.10. Sometimes in in our world today, you hear people talking a lot about guilt and shame, and that guilt and shame is always bad. In the Bible, there's good guilt and bad guilt. There's good guilt and bad guilt. So 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. Um, in the world we live in, if, if there is no hope of forgiveness or if your forgiveness is conditional or forgiveness is like a maybe, then hanging on to guilt is a really bad idea. But when you, when, when you live with and serve a God that promises to forgive, produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. The other thing I wanted to point out is that <clears throat> he talks in verse two. He says, "Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I'm conscious of my rebellion." Whenever you confess, like if you were teaching your kids how to confess, like I don't know, I grew up in a household of boys, so I think you know, tell your brother, tell your brother you're sorry. You know, you might say that to your kids. Like I, I heard that growing up, tell your brother you're sorry. And if all you say is "I'm sorry," your parents will probably say. I need some specifics. First of all, you don't really sound like you understand that you hurt somebody else, and second of all, what are you sorry for? And so, one of the good things about if your sin is ever present in your mind, when you confess your sin to God, you can confess with specifics. And so, a good confession involves um, a good confession involves specifics. And excuse me. beg your pardon <clears throat> I have another person in my life, a good friend he uh He talks about the way that he likes to apologize, which is really weird it's kind of funny um, I think in 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 verses two and three, David actually says, "Please forgive me i'm I was wrong i 'm sorry, so I have this friend and he he told me he looked me straight in the eye and said this without laughing he 's like the way I like to apologize is." when you know I did something wrong and I know I did something wrong, I like to look at you and say, um, you know, I was, it's just, maybe maybe I, um, sometimes, we're good, right? We're good. And I'm like, I don't think that's an apology. Um, because I do think that part of apologizing is is being a little, a little embarrassed. And again, we're not trying to rub people's nose in their sin, um, but there's something to be said for owning what you've done and also the fact for, for being humble. If there's anything I've been reminded of in my life, it's that whenever people come to Christ, the biggest characteristic that I've seen in people that come to Christ is humility. They say, I've, I, I've come to the end of everything that I'm capable of doing and I'm at a place where I'm ready to say whatever you say is right and and I will follow you. And so looping back, back around to David and how could he be called a man after God's own heart, I think David had one thing going for him in that um, he was a person who would repent. He was a person that would repent. Uh, eventually, when it got to the point where he either chose to continue having a stiff neck or apologize, he, he broke. And he chose to not have a stiff neck. And he chose to say, I'm sorry. He chose to agree with God. And that's the characteristic, I think, that makes him a person after God's own heart, which, if there's hope for him, there's hope for you. If there's hope for Peter, who denied Jesus three times, there's hope for you. Um, there is forgiveness. So what we'd like to do, as much as possible... Uh, always take action whenever you hear a word. Whenever you hear from a word from the Lord, always take action as soon as possible. So we'd like to give you all uh, just a couple of minutes to confess any sin that you have before you and the Lord just in prayer. So Mel's going to come up and he's going to play a little bit of music, and it's just silent prayer. It's not confessing your sin to others, although that is biblical, um, and I would recommend doing that throughout the course of this week if you feel convicted to do so. But if you take a moment... In prayer, I'd like to offer you the chance to confess your sins to the Lord before we take communion. And as you are bowing your heads, I'd like to read over you Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5 says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful. How joyful is the person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. When you keep it in, it just gets heavier and heavier. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you will forgive the guilt of my sin.